So we're in a series titled Ignite Your Faith. We're looking at some things that we can do to grow spiritually. And to begin today, we're going to be playing a little game. And so this game is called This or That. And so I'm going to have one person come up. And all you have to do is just tell me whether you prefer this food or that food. And so are there any uh, foodies out there that would love to? All right, come on down here. So this is uh, is Dimitri, right? Okay, Dimitri likes food. You can come on up here to the front. Okay, this or that. Now, what is your favorite food, by the way? Uh, I like potato skins. Potato skins, okay. Yeah. All right, well, we're, we're going to see if we can expand that palette in, in some of these. So we'll start out by, uh, let's see. So we have uh, hot dogs or hamburgers. Hot dogs or hamburgers. I like going to Five Guys, so I'll do a hamburger. Okay, you know they have hot dogs as well? My kids get them. No? (laughs) Okay, we'll go to the the next one here. Would you rather some steak or chicken? I got to do steak, but chicken's good for recovery. I'll do steak. Okay. All right, recovery, um, so, so you know more about the, the exercise thing. That, that does not register in my, in my life. Yeah, but. I used to fight MMA. Okay, no. yeah. <laughs> now we're going to uh, branch out a little bit from here. You may not be able to see the screen as well, so if you need to, you can get a better look here. Uh, so would you rather eat fried locusts or fried tarantulas? The tarantulas. The tarantulas. Wow. Uh, so the locusts can be found in Israel, and then the tarantulas are actually found in Cambodia. You can buy them or eat them there. Let's go on to this next one here, and, and I'm going to get these names wrong, but this is uh, Kasu Marzu and Century Egg. Uh, Kasu Marzu. Okay. So let me tell you what you've just picked. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, the Kasu Marzu is from Italy, and it has uh, its rare cheese that's infested with maggots. Uh, and they do something to the cheese that makes it apparently taste really good to some crazy person over there. I don't know. Um, the century eggs are from China, and it's made by, quote, preserving duck, chicken, or quail eggs in a mixture of clay, ash, and salt for months at a time, by which point the yolk has turned green or gray and has a potent sulfur smell. I know what I'm bringing to the next Easter dinner. <laughs> next one here. Jellied moose nose, or uh, it's like a huit la coche. I'll do the jellied moose nose. And this is exactly what it says here, jellied moose nose. And they said it's from Canada. Oh, stop. Uh, so you first have to remove the nose hairs... And then they boil and reboil the nose, and then they put it in a broth that sets in a jelly. So, uh, do you want to change your answer? Yummy. No, I'll keep it. <laughs> and then the other one is from Mexico, and it just says it's corn fungus. Corn fungus. Okay, just another one or two here. So, this is a tuna eyeballs or stargazy pie. I'll go the eyeballs because I know what I'm getting. I don't know what's in the pie. Okay, the safe, the safe route, although, do you, have you ever eaten some sort of eyeball? I don't know. I don't even eat fish. Yeah, so. yeah. 
I'm Greek, and that's not even possible. So. All right, so the tuna eyeballs are exactly that. They are boiled or steamed and then seasoned with garlic or soy sauce. And then the Stargazy pie, uh, that, the, the tuna was from Japan. The, uh, the pie is from England, and I read that it's traditionally served on December 23rd. So listen, you all have a new tradition you can do. And it's made by baking uh, pilchards, eggs, and potatoes under a pastry crust. And apparently you have to make sure the, egg, the, the fish are sticking up like that. So I believe that is all. So let's give them a hand. Easy enough, right? Thank you. Thank you. How many of you have heard the phrase, uh, you are what you eat? Yeah. And, and some of those after you're like, uh, uh, yeah, that, that makes me a little nervous if you've had some of those things, right? But the thing is, uh, this is true spiritually as well. Spiritually speaking, what you take in will determine what you become. So if you eat spiritual trash, so to speak, then guess what your spiritual life is going to look like? It's going to look not very good. But if you eat nourishing spiritual food, then you will grow spiritually strong. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking at, in our series, Ignite Your Faith, at five steps that you can take right now to grow your faith, five things that you can do in 2023 to make it a year of spiritual growth. Now, last week we looked at the foundation, that giving your life to Jesus and then continuing in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at the importance of Scripture, how Scripture impacts your spiritual life. And so to begin, I'm going to go ahead and read our main passage, and then I'll, I'll talk about uh, what it means. So this is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is a quote from Scripture. So Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted. The first question that comes up before we look at anything else is, why would Jesus be led into the desert to be tempted? And I want to give you a couple of reasons why. This is not an exhaustive list, but first, it was to show that he will not sin. Second, us looking at what he's doing, it shows that he can sympathize with us, as Hebrews talks about, that he can sympathize with us because he's gone through the same things and been tempted in the same way. And third, it's to give us an example of how we can fight sin. So as we see what Jesus is doing, we can take from that and fight sin in the same way. And he's actually, in Matthew chapter 4, tempted three times in the chapter— and we're just looking at the first one. But in all three times, each of these temptations really has a, a symbolism for something bigger. 
So the, the first temptation of the bread, which we'll, we'll continue to look at, really symbolizes the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. The second temptation, which we won't be looking at, where, where Satan tempts him to command his angels, to jump and command his angels, and to basically test God, that is the pride of life. You know, can I tell God what to do, and so on. Third, it's where he stands up there and looks over all the kingdoms, and Satan says, all this you can have if you worship me. And that's the lust of the eyes. And so it's those three things that point to different temptations that in each, each situation, Jesus uh, does not give in to the temptation. And so we're going to be looking at the first one here in verses 1 through 4. And so Jesus has been in the desert, not one, not two, but 40 days without eating. 40 days without eating. So that is a very long time. So would we all agree that it's an understatement to say that in, in the passage there that he was hungry? He was likely literally starving inside. And so Satan comes to him and he says, come eat this bread. So the next question we have to ask ourselves is, why would it be a sin to eat bread if you're hungry? Have any of you ever eaten bread if you were hungry? Not a lot of people are admitting it. All of you are liars. But really, uh, other than if you're trying to uh, have a low-carb diet, so to speak here, uh, it's not a sin. And that was just a joke, a bad joke. But in this situation, the Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness. So this is God leading Jesus into the wilderness to accomplish this task. So it is, in this situation, God's will that he be in the desert and that he fast or that he not eat. So for Jesus to just go and and just make some bread and eat it, he would be going against God's will in this situation. So when when Satan comes to Jesus, externally, externally Satan is saying, Uh, Are you hungry? Well, come uh, have some bread because you you have the power to make it. But what he's implying to to Jesus, Satan's implying, God has led you out of here. God's led you here, but uh, he's left you for dead. And you need to use your own power to go and save yourself. You need to, to trust in yourself to survive. And so he was doing basically... The exact same thing that he did back in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Adam and Eve. He was trying to get Jesus to not trust in God's provision and God's guidance. So that's why it would be a sin in that situation to make the bread, which Jesus had the power to do, and to eat it. So let's look at now what Jesus says. We've already read it once, but let me read verse 4 again. So Jesus responds by saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this response really hits at two different and important levels for us to understand. First of all, in all three temptations, Jesus says that Jesus uses scripture to counter the truth of the temptation. So he's using Scripture, he's, he's quoting Scripture to go against what Satan is saying in that temptation. He does this in all three temptations. Satan basically says, 
blah, 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 hiss, 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 so on. And then Jesus responds by saying, it is written. And then he quotes from Scripture. And by doing that, Jesus is declaring that he will trust God over what Satan has to say, over what his flesh has to say. What God says is true. What you say, Satan, is a lie. So that's at that first level there. Second, though, Jesus uses Scripture as a solution to the temptation. He uses it as a solution. So he says again, but by every word, he's saying man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what is the Bible? What do we call it sometimes? It is the word of God. It's the words of God spoken that have been written down that we now read here on our app or here on paper. And so Jesus is saying that Scripture is his main source of spiritual nourishment. It is his main source that he needed God's word more than he needed physical food. Many years ago, many years before, King David said in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By trying really hard. Is that what he says? No, he, he says, by guarding it according to your word. According to your word. Skipping ahead to verse 105. Your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's God's word that's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I'm going to just pause now and uh, ask an important question. And this is really going to pertain to the rest of the time that we're going to be up here today. What does this mean for us? What is knowing what Jesus said? How does that influence or impact our lives here thousands of years later? So if you're asking that question, I'm glad you asked. Because what we can see based on what Jesus says in this passage, based on what we see throughout Scripture, we see that Scripture is vital for us to grow spiritually. So with that in mind, I want to give you the the second step. So we've been going through the series. The second step, really the first part of the second step, to igniting your faith, and that is to get in Scripture. To get in Scripture. There's a study recently called the Transformational Discipleship Project, and the researchers found eight key actions that often lead to spiritual growth. Meaning that if you are doing these eight things, then it is highly likely that you're going to grow spiritually. Well, according to this, guess what the number one action is? Bible engagement. Bible engagement. There's another study, a similar study, from the Center of Bible Engagement, And they found that if you read the Bible one to three times a week, then it basically has little impact on your life. And you're like, oh, wait a second, what? But they said in the study, if you read it four 
or more times a week, then things begin to dramatically change. This is not like a guarantee. This is statistically from what they found. So when you read it four or more times a week, they found that your life improves, that there's less loneliness, there's less anger, there's less drug, drug use, and other sinful patterns in your life drop. And at the same time, as you read it four or more times a week, you begin to see yourself grow spiritually. So to summarize that, consistent Bible reading is powerful. It's powerful. Consistent Bible reading. Now that's only uh, the first part though. I told you that's the, the first part of the second step. How many of you have ever seen a doctor smoking? Now, do you think they missed that class in med school and just don't know about the effects of smoking? No, most likely they have certainly studied more than they care to know about the dangers and the impact that smoking can have on your health. So they know the right stuff. They're just not living it out. Sadly, how, how many times or have you ever seen in the news uh, a pastor who has failed in some way morally? Now, it's not that this pastor just missed that class in seminary saying, don't steal the money from the church. Don't be prideful. Don't sleep with someone other than your wife. And so on. It's not that they missed it. They knew the right thing to do. They just weren't living it out. And that's why the second part of this second step is so important. So how do we ignite our faith? We get in Scripture and we get Scripture in us. So get Scripture in you. It's not enough to know Scripture. It's not enough To know it, you must be transformed by it. So let's say that you are super hungry and you are craving some good Golden Corral food. Anyone else here? Or is it just me? So it's been like maybe you're just coming off a fast. You're, You're ready to eat. Your body is saying, feed me. So you get in your car and you drive north up to Manchester. You go up South Willow Road. You pull into the parking lot, and then you go up to the, uh, to the restaurant. You, you pay between $11 and $15 to the cranky cashier, and they seat you at a table. And then you sit down, and you say to yourself, I am so glad I came to Golden Corral. And then you get up, and you drive home. Now, in that situation... Have you been nourished? Has that food nourished you? No, because you, you, you got there, which is a really good first step. You need to get there to get the food, but you never started diving into the food. You never started eating it. Listen, likewise, it's good that you read scripture and the more you read it, which we saw, the more you read it, the more that you will grow. But if all you are doing is reading it and not applying it to your life and letting it transform your life, 
then it will not nourish you like it should. It will not impact you like it should. So, I want to encourage us, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the time now. Not only should you be reading it, but you should be getting it in you. You should be getting it in you. So I'm going to give you uh, three steps, three practical steps to take to get it in you, really to get it, and then to get it in you. And so th- this is not an exhaustive list here, uh, but I, for the, the, the 10 or so minutes that we have left, I wanted to come up with some things that you can take away from this. So first of all, I want to encourage you to have a plan. To have a plan. So if you don't have a plan, then what's going to happen when you get really busy one day? What's going to happen if some other important things come up? You're going to sort of just drift off to the other more important things. But if you have a goal or a plan then you, you know what you need to accomplish that day and the next day and the next day. And so I'd encourage you to have some sort of reading goal, of daily reading goal. So set up a reading plan for you to follow. So instead of just starting with the goal, though, like to, to, to read the Bible in a month, you come out of the sermon hyped up, ready to, to say, I need to get in Scripture. And so tonight you plan to read Genesis through, through Deuteronomy. Well, hey, if, if you can do that, great. But for most people, I would encourage you to start small. To start small because it is far better that you get into the habit of reading Scripture in small chunks on a daily basis than to just go in there, guns blazing, and read a lot in the first day, and then tire out and stop. So think long term. Bible reading is more of a marathon than a sprint. So the goal is not to read the largest amount possible in the shortest amount of time. The goal is to take it enough to be transformed by it so that it will change your life over a long period of time. It is far better for you to read 10 or 11 or 12 minutes a day than to read 70 minutes one day, once a week. There is power. There is power in reading a little bit over a long period of time. So not only will you retain more, you'll learn more, but you're going to get into the habit of reading it. Once you get in the habit, then it gets much easier as you go along. I've shared this before, but it's very applicable here that, that uh, I read about a leaky faucet. And if it drips just 10 times per minute, just 10 little bloop, bloop, 10 times per minute, then at the end of the day, it's going to end up wasting about a gallon of water a day or 29 gallons of water a month. So that comes out to be about 350 gallons of water each year from a dripping faucet. That's about enough to fill up our baptismal back here. Let's say it's dripping a little bit more, though. If it drips, say, 120 times per minute, 
it will waste 11 gallons per day or approximately 330 gallons per month. And that comes out to be 4,000 gallons over the course of a year, which is enough to fill up a, an above-ground swimming pool that's 13 by 13. So doing a little every day is powerful. It's powerful. And so when we think of reading plans, I encourage you to have one that, that works with you in that way. Now, I'll preface this by saying, do what works best for you. So if you have a reading plan that works really well for you, then continue following it. But if you don't, I want to encourage you to try one that, that is what I call the big and small approach. The big and small approach. Now, some people recommend that you read the Bible, say, just straight through over a period of a year, two years, or three years. So you just read it right through. And, and that is good because it gives you sort of a big picture approach of the Bible. There's other people, on the other hand, though, that recommend you just dive into one book of the Bible and you just read it over and over and over again. And, and that has its benefits as well because the more that you dive in, the more that you learn from it, and the more that it can really influence you from that, that book of the Bible. So I recommend that you work towards in, uh, working both of these into your life. So as you get better at reading the Bible, if you start small, five, ten minutes a day, and then as you begin to grow, you can work towards reading, say, a chapter from the New and a chapter from the Old Testament. And then that's the, that's the big picture each day. But then in addition to that, I want to encourage you to, to grab a book of the Bible, maybe a smaller one, like one of the letters from Paul or Peter, say Philippians, Colossians, Second Peter, and so on. And just begin reading through that a couple chapters a day. They're small chapters usually. Just read through that a chapter or two a day. When you get to the end, you start over and you start reading it again. And so in doing that, let's say you read two chapters from that, two chapters from the other. It's uh, four chapters, which is, not, which is not impossible to do for most people. So if you can do that, you will get that, that big picture approach and you'll dive in and get that smaller picture approach as well. So let's go on to the second thing that you can do. So how do you get Scripture in you? You read it with intentionality. You read it with intentionality. So when I was a teenager, one of my favorite bands was DC Talk. And uh, my kids were, uh, one of my kids was playing some of the music yesterday uh, showing one of her friends what her teenage dada used to listen to. And I looked up, this goes all the way back to 1990s, the early 1990s, when I was a youngin'. But in one of their songs, in DC Talk, uh, one of their earlier albums, they, say, they sang a song called Love is a Verb. But since they were cool, it was L-U-V, not just L-O-V-E. So the, the purpose of the song was to encourage you to not just make love something you say or something you, you think about, but to, to act it out with people. Love is a verb. That's what they were encouraging you to do. Well, if DC Talk ever got back together again, which would be totally cool, but if they ever got back together again, I have another song for them to sing. And that is, Bible reading is a verb. Bible reading is a verb. So as I've said, the goal of Scripture, of reading it, is to transform you. 
And so reading it is that good first step. But as you read it, you're not just reading it. You're looking for ways to get it in you, to apply it to your life. So first of all, read it like a detective. Read it like a detective. So what do detectives do when they come to a, to a crime scene? They first look around for those clues. They look and, and make observations. And then over a period of time, they take those clues, those observations, and they start to think through all of them. What does it mean? They interpret them. And then finally, when they have all of their information, their observations, they've interpreted it correctly, they act on it, they apply it, application, and they go out and they arrest the criminal. And so I encourage you to look at the Bible first for information. As you go through it, make observations. As you're reading that chapter and you say, oh, he said something similar in the previous chapter. Make observations. Or, uh, in, in, you know, if you see different patterns come up, make those observations. And then you go th- into interpreting them, thinking about, what does it mean now for me? And then you go into application and you act on what you've just learned. So I also want to encourage you to write things down. So your Bible should not be some beautiful piece of artwork that has never been touched. I want to encourage you to treat your Bible more like those worn out sweatpants that you wear on a rainy day and not that fancy gown that you wear one time per year. So get in it. Wear it out. Use it all the time. Make notes in it. Underline things. Do things that that will help you come back later and remember it. In addition to that, I want to encourage you to, to, have a, to have a notebook. To have a notebook and write down observations and to write down your favorite verse that you see there. Write down these thoughts that you have in these applications. Because that is, in, in a way, what you're doing is you're freezing time right there to help you remember it later on. Third thing, how do you get Scripture in you? That is to treasure the words of God, to treasure it. Now, married folks, I want to ask you, do you treat your spouse different than you treat, say, your coworker or your neighbor? When I get home from work, I um, come in and I see my wife and, and usually I'll come in and give her a hug, maybe give her a kiss. Or something like that. Now, when I get to work, guess what I do when I see our uh, beloved secretary, Pam? Well, I wave to her. Because she's not my wife. So I don't come in and give her a hug or a kiss. And Steve says, thank you. Right? I treasure my wife. More than others. No offense to others, but that is who I treasure in my actions. Hopefully, show it. So I want to ask you, do you treasure the Word of God? Because your actions will show if you do. So instead of just reading it, I want to challenge you to work on getting those words of God in you. So here's a couple ways. I'm just going to basically give you a list here. 
I think, uh, so I've preached other sermons on these, on uh, a lot of these here. And if you just uh, search on our website, uh, Scripture Meditation or Meditation, you should find a couple sermons on that. But first of all, I encourage you to memorize it. Memorize it. So get it in you. And just the process of memorizing Scripture helps you get it deeper in you. And then, as you memorize it, you're going to be driving down 93 one day and someone cuts you off. And that passage comes into your mind saying, love your enemy. And you're like, oh, fine. I'll slow down. I won't, I won't tailgate them or anything. And you can't do that if you've just read it once. Put it down. You're not going to be reading the Bible on 93. So let's memorize it. That is an awesome way. An awesome way to get scripture in you. And I hear people say, I can't memorize. And I would encourage 99% of you that you are silly. You can memorize if you put your mind to it. If you make it a priority. Let's say you get one verse and you read it 10 times each day and you do that for a month. Do you think possibly after a month you might have that scripture memorized? All right, you don't have it? Go to the next month and continue memorizing it. When you have it down, go to one. And let's say over a year you only have six scripture, six passages memorized. Well, that is six more than what you have right now. Six passages that you have in you that you can recall down the road. When you have them in you, as you're studying it, as you, after you read it, I want to also encourage you to think about it, to meditate on it, to think about that detective stuff. What does it mean for you? And to, to think about what is, how does it apply to me? So think about it. Some other ways, this is not an exhaustive list here, but you can sing it. Sing it. Singing, by the way, really helps you remember it as well. You don't have to be a good composer or even a good singer. Do it when no one's around then, when you're in the car alone. But as you sing it, there's something about singing that that gets things deeper inside of you. It's also something about singing which helps you memorize it. When my kids were younger, we would all get together, and instead of saying, all right, we're going to memorize Psalm 23, Josiah, you go first. No, we came up with, a song for it, and some silly actions. And within weeks, at that point, they had the entire Psalm 23 memorized. They didn't even know they had it memorized. They just knew they liked the song that I came up with. Another thing you do is teach it to others. So as you teach it to others, that helps you remember it and to to apply it as well. And then lastly, you just need to be intentional about living it out. So living it out, knowing that that when you learn it, there's going to be some things it tells you that maybe you don't understand or agree with or want to do. But at a certain point, it just comes down to, are you going to obey what God says or are you going to obey what you want to do in your own flesh? And Jesus has shown us from this passage, from Matthew chapter 4, that man does not live by that fleshly side, by that bread alone, but by every word that comes mouth of God. So each of these are ways that you can get God's word in you. In the 1300s, there's a man named uh, John Wycliffe. 
he translated the Bible into English, and that was the first time that the Bible was ever translated into the English language. Well, the Catholic Church at that time did not like what he did, and so they declared him a criminal and a heretic. Now, can you imagine being a, called a criminal and heretic all for wanting to get the Bible to other people? Fast forward 100 years later. There's a man named William Tyndale. He did the same thing. He, his goal was to make the Bible accessible to the common man. And so again, the Catholic Church did not like what he did. And so Tyndale was declared a criminal, but he ended up with even a worse fate. He was later arrested, and then he was sentenced to be strangled and burned at the stake. All for translating the Bible into English. And as I thought about what people like Wycliffe and and Tyndale went through to get the Bible to the common language... It reminded me that, that we need to make the Word of God central in our lives. Because the Bible is literally worth dying for. It's, this is not a bookshelf decoration. It's not just for grabbing out of the car to bring into church. These are the words of God, and they have been written to help us know more about God to know his ways and to be transformed by that knowledge. And so I want to ask you, do you treat the Bible as it deserves to be treated and as, as people before you have died to make it accessible to us? I want to close with this story. Uh, in his amazing book, God Smuggler, uh, Brother Andrew writes about his work of bringing Bibles, sneaking them into uh, communist countries in the 1950s and 60s. And uh, many of those churches that he brought the Bibles to did not have one single Bible for the entire church because of the government oppression. And so I want to read you just a, an excerpt from one time Brother Andrew brought some Bibles to some Christians in Bulgaria. That night, I drove up to the apartment and checked the street to make sure that it was empty. And then, it took, and then, and then took inside the, many, the first of many, many cartons of Bibles I was to deliver to this man over the years. Petrov and his wife watched me put the box on their table, their eyes wide in frank curiosity. What is that? Petrov asked. I lifted the top and took out a Bible. And I put it in his trembling hands of Petrov and another into the hands of his wife. And he said, and in that box? More and still more outside, he said. Petrov closed his eyes and his mouth was working hard to control the emotion he was feeling. But two tears rolled slowly out from between his closed lids, and fell onto the volume in his hands. That's someone who understood the worth of Scripture. Now, here in America, we don't lack Bibles. In fact, it's sort of the opposite, where Bibles are so accessible that they almost seem unimpressive and ordinary. But I want to challenge you today 
to not buy into that lie. Because the Word of God can change your life, but you must get it in you. So will you do it? Will you treat it like it deserves? Will you value it as a treasure to be opened? Will you study it as an important message from God of the universe here? Will you learn it and live it out? And if you do, listen, your life will never be the same. Let's go ahead and spend a moment now in prayer.